All right, guys. So we've been really doing this weird take on Galatians because I think it's the most, Galatians has been a book that has been hard for people to approach sometimes because they hear it like it's like it's all deep theology. But the thing with Paul is you always got to read Paul backwards. Read the last two chapters, which are typically the ones that people gloss over in, because that's where Paul is saying, therefore, do this. So all the stuff that comes before is aiming at a target of changed lives. And what I love about a Galatians is with this huge, like, kind of an angry letter and all this theology, it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, which, uh, in five. So this is the target everything is aiming at. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there's no law. Can you imagine this idea where the huge social issue of the day, the whole church united about the priority of gentleness? Uh, do we get a picture, when you watch the news and you hear talking heads that represent churches, how often do you hear the priority of this list? A lot? A, a little bit? At all? Who can remember hearing after some big social thing? Well, okay, there, there's a, I used to get really uh, kind of depressed when I'd see Christians who were interviewed on shows when they were really grumpy. And there was one theologian that was thought to be one of the greatest theologians, and actually Galatians was his like second most famous book he taught on. But he would be on this show called Crossfire a lot. And Crossfire was a really popular political debate show until Jon Stewart went on it and basically took them down a couple notches and it got canceled a week later. That's a funny video. Watch, look up Jon Stewart Crossfire on... Uh, well, anyway, what happened was there was this pastor that went on there and I turned the volume down. When I turned the volume down, I asked myself, would I ever want to have lunch with this guy? Would I ever want my neighbors to meet him? Is this someone you would want around your dinner table? And this guy was just... You, I, I would be hard-pressed to find any joy. And I thought, look at Jesus. Jesus got invited to all the parties and people who were in danger of being stoned because of things they did would literally go through crowds of people that could get them in trouble just to be near Jesus. You would have a woman crash a party at a religious and political leader's house just so she could wash Jesus' feet. So what we know about Jesus is he was so gentle, kind, loving, and joyful that people would risk being embarrassed, risk shame, and risk their lives just to get near him. So one way, and I look at the fruit of the Spirit here, I'm like, that's Jesus. It's like, you can't, a lot of people act like they're being persecuted because they're really angry about a certain issue, and really people aren't, People don't hate them because they're Christians. They may think they just can't stand how they behave and maybe think that's just what Christianity is all about. And Paul is getting straight at this issue. And it's ironic that a person that thinks he's one of the Galatian experts of the country missed the point so badly. Because the idea here is Paul had this church in Galatia. Um, after he went there, he, had a, he would bring different groups. He'd bring Jewish people, Gentile people together. 
And what made the churches different is you had people engaging in friendship that didn't happen anywhere else. You had boundaries and socioeconomic boundaries crossed that never happened anywhere else. And what would happen is there were people, because before AD 70, uh, Christianity was just considered a brand of Judaism. You know, but you say Jesus is the Messiah, but they kind of got along. But the issue, the biggest issue of the book of Acts and otherwise was, can you follow Jesus and not be Jewish? And the answer, of course, is in the Gospels, is Jesus going, you know, telling a Roman centurion he has better faith than anyone in the whole country. That's kind of a clue where Jesus sat on that. So anyway, these guys were coming in, and they were saying, you need to embrace Jewish culture to be a part of the Jesus people. And that meant, for a lot of the men, adult circumcision. Now, there's some uh, theologians say, well, Paul wrote this book, but he didn't write this book because Paul contradicts himself. And one thing they say is, well, in this chat book, it says, hey, Titus went to Jerusalem to meet with the, in the synagogue with the leaders of the Jewish people, and he didn't get circumcised, which, by the way, was breaking the law. You know, him meeting with the leaders who met in synagogues, not being circumcised, broke a law. But they say, but then Timothy got circumcised to reach a group of people. They say, see, that Paul must have only wrote one of those. Guys, Paul never makes people accept a culture in order to find Jesus. Paul never makes a people accept a culture to accept Jesus. But Paul would accept a culture to get a chance to share someone with Jesus, share Jesus with someone. So in one context where Paul is trying to reach these people who are Jewish that won't get close to him when someone is not circumcised. He goes, hey, and Timothy's like, hey, this is a real bummer of an idea, but if it's worth it if these guys can hear about Jesus. So I will go through this tremendously painful, awful ritual that no adult should ever have to endure in order to be able to share Christ with people. So basically, the powerful assimilate to the less powerful, or the privileged assimilate to the less privileged, meaning if you're at the top of the social pecking order, it's your job to make the sacrifice so someone else can know Jesus. It's not their job to make a sacrifice so they can know you. So the, Paul, people, people try to say, well, this is, you know, Paul didn't write this or this. It's all the contradictions. It's no. Read a book. Simple. The common element of both stories is anything for people to hear the Jesus loves you message. So Paul is angry because this unifying dynamic that can bring people together, all people groups, under one Jesus, to be his hands and feet in the world, to live according to the law of heaven right now, and to be able to demonstrate Jesus is king no matter who is president, and live according to Jesus and not the ruling authorities, if you start putting in your culture, you kill it. You will, it is impossible to find a Christian who is, who is loyal more to their politics, their nation, or their culture, who isn't a grump. Joy, the real joy is, joy is not euphoria. The joy of following Jesus isn't you're going to feel good all the time. The joy is knowing that I'm loved unconditionally, you're loved unconditionally, 
and we can both be healed by Christ together even though we have nothing in common. And what, that's joy where you have a sense of peace whether you're going through a good time in your life or a bad time in your life. And Paul saw, if this becomes married to your culture, guess what? It's going to die. In fact, it wasn't until the last hundred years that we were even able to understand exactly what the culture was like in first century Israel because there's not that many records. But then these, these women uh, from England spent their retirement to go to Egypt and Alexandria, and what happens? All the synagogues were empty because there wasn't a Jewish population there anymore. But each synagogue had a giant underground silo because you could never throw away any piece of paper that had any Bible verse or mention of God on it. So they stored them all in these giant silos. And these women, who wouldn't be allowed to go to some seminaries, went in and rescued those documents, began translating all those documents, and just in the past like 20 years, we've been able to recreate the first century of Judaism like no one else. And so when we look at the culture, the eyes we have now, where, you know, uh, both in the Catholic and Protestant churches, they really interpreted the Bible through their culture, which kind of meant some cool things got missed. What they saw was how many different versions of Judaism have been forgotten. We didn't even know that people lived it out this way. But Jesus is being worshipped right now on every continent, probably even on a polar base in Antarctica too right now, today, because of the cross-cultural Jesus. And the end-all, be-all scripture is it says, every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before Jesus Christ. And what's that saying is every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to become, have one language and is going to have one cuisine and one this. It isn't like we all become one into some big cosmic soup like some pantheists believe. The idea is we will have every cultural distinction without the bad bits and we will be in eternity worshiping God forever. And which means is think of all the cultures and cuisines that don't even exist on the planet anymore. Who's a foodie? Not only will cuisine keep evolving, like imagine an eternity with imperishable bodies, an expanding universe, and, you know, a continually species diversifying, evolving, plants crossbreeding. Imagine where creation self-complicates in beautiful ways forever that you can never, if you're an astronomer, there's going to be a new nebula to see. If you're a gardener, you can't keep up with the plants. It's not this airy-fairy, disembodied existence on a cloud that's boring. It's a world that keeps changing, and you don't have any of the limits of hatred, of fear, or otherwise, or a corruptible body limiting you, appreciating how amazing. I mean, think of all the music that will get composed. Think of all the art that will be done. But it would have all been forgotten if these people added their culture to their faith. And we do it. We always have to guard against this. So I want to uh, read the passage. When Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, went to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who's Paul's mentor, 
got messed up, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Guys, this is so important. First of all, if someone hurts you, don't confront them in front of everyone. All right? This is not about personal grievances. Has anyone ever found out someone's angry at them because of a post on Facebook? Before you found out? I literally found out someone had a grudge against me because they published an article in a magazine once. And it's like, dude, you have my mobile phone number. I didn't know about that. Give me a call. I mean, it's, we live in a very passive-aggressive society. But what Jesus said is, hey, if someone sins against you, if brother or sister sins against you, go privately to that person. Talk to them. If you don't win them over, bring someone else. And another person. And then bring it maybe, get the authorities of the church involved to mediate the discussion. This idea of preserving human dignity. We're not, I'm not going to embarrass you and disenfranchise if you personally offend me or hurt me. However, if you are someone who is actively hurting or disenfranchising others, you get called out in the same venue you're doing your bad stuff. You know, confrontation or repentance always has to occur in the context where the sin happened. We have seen some of the greatest tragedies in the American church because this has gotten wrong. There's literally churches in our country where if someone uh, has an adulterous relationship and they get to, they'll tell the whole church from the pulpit. And I, I can literally think of some exact churches where this happened where a leader in a church has an affair and they're worried. They're worried if people find out this person was living a double life, they might question their faith. So we're going to deal with this privately. So they take an insider leader and cover up something bad, but just a regular person, and they publicize it. Now, if something that is, that happens at a personal level, you deal with the personal. If it happens in a public level, you bring it public. If it happens in a way that could destroy the whole progress of the gospel and God's multicultural, all nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation agenda, not only do you call it out in public, you write a letter mentioning it, and it gets preserved for 2,000 years because we can't miss that. Peter, one of the most courageous, courageous disciples of Jesus. You know, Peter denied Jesus, right? But at least he had the guts to surveil Jesus. I mean, he practiced surveillance when everyone else went to hiding. And I love Peter because he, he, he spoke first and thought later. So I can relate to Peter. And this isn't to, to, to slag off Peter or anything. This is to say Peter fell into racist practices and cultural supremacy even though he'd been delivered from it, which is a warning. No matter where we're at, we're always in danger of putting our culture before Christ. So the, the way it works is the more influence you have, the more accountability you have. And I, I've just been grieved two of the largest denominations in America have had systems of covering up violence against women. And, there's all, and it was for the sake of the gospel, but they're also the two denominations that were most well-known for issuing position statements condemning people that weren't a part of their organizations. That's cultural supremacy. 
you know, uh, one reason I'll, I'll talk about the failures of the church is because this is my family. This is my people group. I'm not about trying to, uh, you know, sanitize what this is. The best critique is the critique from within. You know, I'm, I am just broken down and devastated by the violence in China against the Uyghur peoples and many others and the Oregon trade and all this stuff. And I'm actually... Uh, but publicly, I'm a shareholder in this nation. I pay taxes to this nation. My tax dollars have been a part of certain policies this nation. A good rule of thumb is to always be an expert of your own issues and maybe be informed of the other issues. But the voice, the critique always has to be most internal and not external. Because when we do it the other way, what we do is people inherently begin to fear other cultures. Now, Julian the Apostate, one of the last, like, one of the Roman emperors that hated Christians during the Great Persecution, had this to say. He said, well, we can't stop the spread of this vile belief system because they, uh, they dress the wounds of their enemies. This is before the whole idea of just war and everything came out. Christians wouldn't participate in violence, but they would go to where violence was happening and dress the wounds of both sides and often get killed in the process. And because of that, no one could stop it from growing. Roman Empire, you learn about in school. Christianity, uh, following Jesus, we're trying to do it here. Love wins. So in this passage, Paul called him out. This isn't just about holding leaders accountable. It's that this specific behavior that Peter repented from. You know, Peter stopped doing that. We know from history outside the Bible that Peter laid down his life in the process of preaching the gospel to other cultures. So Peter, Peter, this intervention worked, but we remember this forever because, guys, we have a country divided by politics because people worship one leader or worship the other leader, and we tend to sort people into silos and treat them like objects when, and one thing I've been really trying to do, and it's hard, especially the last number of years, um, I've been trying to think of the most compassionate way to look at someone that's hurt me. And part of this has been, like, I was think, I was just this morning um, rehearsing for this. Yeah, I don't actually rehearse, but I, I think through it a lot. And I was thinking about a teacher who, uh, was a Christian school teacher that physically abused me in sixth grade. I've talked about this story a lot. And I was thinking about how miserable, because I knew some things about this person's childhood and stuff, what a hell it would be to be trapped in his life, his body, and his experiences with his perspective. And I thought, the joy I have on a routine basis, it is quite conceivable what I know about this person that they've never had the joy that I get to have on a routine basis. In the end of the day, Jesus healed and is healing me, but this person believes in a God devoid of compassion. And then I begin to, instead of hate this person or the other, instead of feeling like I need to somehow get one up over him or have this one great confrontation, I'm praying for him. And the same thing, we live in a culture where different peoples and stuff, like right now, you know, most Afghan refugees in Columbus have to stay in hotels because the amount of landlords that won't rent to refugees. That wasn't an issue 10 years ago, but there's been so much stoked fear of the other in our culture that even though guaranteed rent payments 
occurring because the resettlement agencies pay the rent. They're having to pay enough money to keep people in hotels because of fear. That's one of the reasons we're doing this one good home house. And by the way, first family, Carl, I didn't hear the latest. I, unless you heard recently, it's going to be a Syrian family, not an Afghan family. But uh, it's still pretty, uh, it's awesome. We're, uh, and we, if you guys can, you know, sell any of your old Princess Beanie Babies or put some comic books on eBay, we've still got an option of uh, matching 7,000 more dollars, which will turn to 14. So if you guys want to do that, that would be great. Uh, and God will multiply it, and we'll be able to do the you know, fatherless, widow, alien, and stranger stuff together. So that's that. Um, so back to this passage. I mean, look. Okay. I'm, do we have a worship folks get here? Private hurts confronted privately, dangerous policies, dangerous activities, and false teachings are confronted publicly. Um, anytime we assert cultural supremacy, we create division. But the gospel builds a body that sometimes doesn't understand they're part of the same team. They seem so different. And probably one of the things in our divided, crazy times in America is being able to be friends with pastors around the world and actually talk to them over FaceTime who have almost nothing in common with me other than Jesus and see that God is bigger than worshiping one country or another. So, in God's eternal kingdom, every tribe, tongue, and nation exists, which means all the good food. I guess for us guys, is the start is we can not only do this, we can equip our kids. And I think one of the first barriers that aren't even this cultural barrier, well, it, it does relate, because frankly, the Jewish people were dominated by the Roman Empire. So Gentile equaled Roman. So they felt a sense of justification, and I really can feel it, that this is the people group that have bullied me, taxed us to death, stole our ancestral lands, maybe stolen one of our kids. Yeah, there's a reason why they didn't want to worship God. That was their safe space, and they were triggered by Gentiles, right? In the same way, one of the first things we can do to bridge a gap is pray for people that have hurt us and to think of compassionate scenarios where we can see them as the prodigal father, as the running father saw the prodigal son. He saw this person that brought all the shame and pain to their household, he ran to greet him. And that's the first step, you know, we can talk about us and them, and these people are racist and that and the other, but the thing is, it's self-protection that does that. And I, I think the biggest takeaway today is, everyone here, and let's just do this, let's be quiet for a minute. I want you to think of the last people you would want to welcome into your life. Who's been in your life before? Who's been in your life before that's not now? That you want to never see again? Because they've hurt you? And your homework is, by the power of God's Spirit, is to think of the most compassionate imagination. And by the way, many times you shouldn't get together with someone. Like, if someone has abused you, a lot of times you need to be very healed and very safe. But in our heart, we can release people to God in forgiveness. Now, I'm going to say this whole issue of division, this whole church would default to this because of fear of the abuse that occurred in the past. 
let's realize this isn't a thing, you know, whether it's racism or nationalism or other things that those other people identify Christians doing. We're doing the same thing, but maybe just on an interpersonal level. So, Jesus Christ, you know, there's some churches that say you have to be a Christian to celebrate communion. Do you know that? Like, I've actually been to churches where if you're not a member of that church, you're not supposed to do this. You have to actually affirm all this truth about Jesus. Guess what I know for a fact about everyone who was at the Last Supper with Jesus? None of them believed in the resurrection of Jesus because it hadn't happened yet. In fact, one of them had just been a part of a contract kill on Jesus, Judas, and they all shared in the cup. So I want to welcome people like Jesus did. And the reason why I love the bread and the cup is because it's the story in a nutshell, or in this case, a nut and dairy and gluten-free shell. Um, it, it's the message is Jesus, the, the, we are nourished by the Savior who let his body be broken, his blood be spilled so we can know love. Inclusion, redemption, healing, and have the superpowers I told the kids about that we can welcome people to an experience of God's kingdom and hopefully eternity with Christ by not being afraid, but by being welcomed. So let's all, let's stand. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, gotta highlight that bit, after he gave thanks, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now in the same way after the supper, which there is a lot of sections of the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. Now, it's paradigm, OS, whatever. This cup is the new, the whole of life and how we live life and the goodness of life is summarized in this cup. And it's in Jesus spilled his, allowed his blood to be spilled. He's not the warrior deity that spills the blood of others. And we're joining that tribe in eating this. So, Lord Jesus, come. And Louise, if um, uh, you want to, you guys both, Johnny and Louise, will close in worship. We ask our prayer got folks to line the sides. Guys, if God specifically brought to mind someone that you need to recast in a compassionate light by the Holy Spirit and work through forgiving, um, this will fade almost instantly. But if you, ask, if you tell someone else and ask them to pray for you, it will epoxy it. That's the first step of obedience you can engage in. Or if you need prayer for anything, uh, depression, isolation, financial setbacks, any kind of mental, physical, familial, please receive prayer today. We love you. You know, all this church thing is is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. God bless you.